Hello, and you're listening to Voices of ATL, a production of the Humanity in Action John Lewis Fellows. I'm Carolina from Phoenix, Arizona. I'm Brandon from Hollywood, Florida. I'm Momo from Eugene, Oregon. I'm Carissa from Athens, Greece. We're a group of students and recent graduates studying the history of the civil rights movement in the city of Atlanta and throughout the South. During the three weeks we've spent in Atlanta, visiting museums, memorials, and historical sites, we've heard many native Atlanteans, Uber drivers, college students, restaurant patrons, talk about the way that the city is changing. Within a civil rights-focused fellowship, it's impossible to talk about race, racism, and segregation without also talking about gentrification. As we explored Atlanta, many people noted the impact of gentrification on two neighborhoods in particular, Little Five Points and the West End. To better understand, we spent two days interviewing Atlanteans about the meaning of community and the ways that communities change and transform. Stick with us as we explore these neighborhoods and hear the voices of Atlanta. Our first stop of the day was Little Five Points. Little Five Points is a commercial area noted for its alternative subcultures, street art, and independent businesses. It's often described as artsy, hipster, and bohemian. In Little Five Points, you'll find boutique thrift stores, local breweries, and psychic greetings. The air smells like incense. In Finley Plaza, local artisans sell crystals and handmade jewelry. As we left the Inman Park Marta Station, we met one woman who told us about her experience as a member of the Little Five Points community. She was heading there to do free tarot card readings and asked if we were lost. Her name was Nicole. When we asked her to describe what community means to her, she told us this. Community means unity. Um, like, I have about two, two extra moms because of my community. Like, it's, I have a lot of family, yeah. just because it's just about unity. Nicole told us how she has seen her community changing in terms of human interaction. In your community? Um, it's not a lot of people from Atlanta anymore. I'm like, where are my AT aliens? <laughs> yeah, um, also, I mean, really, it's not... I don't even think like buildings have made a big difference. Uh, even though we construct like almost every day, I don't even think the buildings made a big difference in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. It's just the people coming in. That's really what it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Based on the impression we have about gentrification, we assume that newcomers would have changed little five points. But when we asked Nicole, how newcomers have influenced Little Five Points, she said. No, actually, because okay. we are accepting. We're a melting pot. That's how mm -hmm. Atlanta started. That's how it will always be. Yeah. After our chat with Nicole, we headed to Findlay Plaza, trying to further explore what community means and how community has changed in Little Five Points. There, we met a guy with many names. Introducing yourself however you wish. You can stay anonymous if you want also. No, it's uh, Pretty Tones, baby. Sorry? Pretty Tones. Pretty Tones, okay. Everybody says L, Bahama L, Miami L, whatever you want <laughs> okay. to call it. Okay, sounds cool. 
As Nicole, Al has a feeling of belonging and unconditional inclusion. Through his word about indiscriminate acceptance, he gives us a sense of family. Wherever he goes, he feels that Little Five Point is a place to be. Nobody's above anybody here. You just do what you do and try to make it. Yeah. I call it just a place to be where everybody respects everybody. Yeah. In Johns Creek and I have one in Snailville. Yeah. So I don't have to be here. I choose to be here. Mm -hmm. yeah. This is what I know. Yeah. I know that I can come down here with blue or green dress and everybody be like, hey, that's just Al. <laughs> mm -hmm. Never be a problem. Yeah. stop in Little Five Points was Harlan Joy's house. Harlan Joy is a sociologist and the co-founder of WRFG Community Radio. He lives in Little Five Points since 1971. When we entered his house on a Saturday night, he and his roommate warmly welcomed us. We were astonished by his music collection equal to three bookcases and organized by a music genre. After interviewing him in his cozy backyard, he showed us some written history about Little Five Points from his book collection, which included in numerous books about history, politics and sociology. Harlan told us about the history of Little Five Points throughout the years while describing the challenges that community faced and how collective struggle and resistance won when they were trying to block the building of a highway passing through Little Five Points. The government, the, the state, decided they were going to build a, another interstate. It wasn't an interstate, but you know, a, a major highway through Inman Park, through this neighborhood, and out to Stone Mountain. Why out to Stone Mountain? Because the big department stores, warehouses were all in Stone Mountain area. So it gave them a through way back and forth. So they started, at first time, well, the first part of it, this happened in two stages. The first stage was they were going to build two throughways. They were going to build one, that one I'm talking about, and one that was an inner circle in the city. I, you know, you got 485, 285 now on the outside. They were going to build an inner circle to separate the black neighborhoods and the white neighborhoods more than they are. That was a real reason. But how this community movement achieved to win the struggle against segregation and spatial division of Little Five Points? Didn't tell, right? Oh my yeah. God. And you said that you all beat the highway. How yeah. exactly was that from the protest? And just... It was a protest. Mm -hmm. It was the money for lawsuits time and time again. And finally, they just gave up. Uh. And. And they finally, the deal was that that land was not to be used for a roadway, except the, the, the roadway from downtown to the presidential park. You got, you can get off the interstate downtown, take a, a throughway type, and you can come into Little Five Points actually, and you can come into, uh, into Carter Center, Carter Library. Can, um, uh, can yeah. you connect like this event with, like, with how? 
um, community was organized back then because like uh, we are also exploring what community means and like mm-hmm. how you see yourself as part of a community so right. I guess that these like process that you organized back then to uh, block the like the highway was yeah. the expression of like a community it, it coming was, together. Yeah, like I said, it was five five neighborhoods right there all together, and they were they were they met. We had a an assembly. Mm-hmm. When I say I was a delegate for one, it was a de- delegate to the bond assembly, and that started the new community feeling in in the area. It's part of it, but at the same time, in 1971, it all over again. They tore down more houses in little five points. Mm-hmm. Uh, not in Little Side Points, but down right above. Inman Park's right below. If you come through a park when you're coming from the station into into um, Little Five Points, if you walk up, there's a park there. That was all going to be. And people uh, tied them themselves to trees, and there was uh, it was quite a quite a, procla- a protracted and five organizations joined together in what was called BOND, the Bass Organization for Neighborhood Development. And that was Inwood Park, Little Five Points, um, Ponce Highland, Candler Park, and Lake Clare to fight this. And I was a delegate from the Little Five Points area, and my late wife was a delegate from a church that was in Inwood Park. And uh, we, fought on all levels. We had, we were, that's when Emory Park has one of the best in, in town neighborhood festivals every year in the spring. And it came up partially to raise money to uh, fight that, that uh, road and the rest of the money. As we heard, Harlan and his community opposed to the construction of the highway as it would be a clear segregationist factor in the area. While Harlan narrated the story of Little Five Points, he also touched on how the racial geography of the area has changed through time and how different groups interacted. On that, there were no blacks in the community. And the, when we first went to, not the Redwood Lounge I was talking about, that one bar, the Redneck Lounge, the one across the across a little road there from it. Uh, we started going there. It's the group from the station before we went there. And Jimmy that owned that bar, when we started coming in, we were a mixed crowd. Mostly whites, but we had a few Africa, Afro Afro Americans in, in in the group. And uh some of his regular drinkers uh, complained and Jimmy said you don't like it get out he's my customers Jimmy saw what was happening and yeah. and he saw the changes beginning to occur so th- was that around the time of like the civil rights movement desegregation well this is 72 okay okay so and this is when you first started to see African Americans coming into the community yeah well at the same time again Marta came through ah uh, okay Marta started making a difference too okay so in the different types of shops, and the shops were friendly mm-hmm. to, to Afro-Americans. You know, they, most of the folks that were taken over were not racist, mm-hmm. that, that sort of racist, yeah, let yeah, me put it like yeah, that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the 
the little five points uh, Inman Park, which is still mostly white, but it, it, if Afro-American moves in, nobody's gonna, everybody's gonna say, oh, welcome to the, to the neighborhood type thing. But Reynoldstown with the, as the martyr came in, Reynoldstown, which was Afro-American at the time, also had the situation where people got off train, they could go anywhere they wanted, in either direction, it opened on both, it opens on both sides. Into Reynolds time on one side, Little Five on the other. So yeah, that that's when the changes started really happening. And the schools integrated. Mm. Bass High School started having white and black before it closed. A little later it closed in, you know, um, uh, integration of several schools, you know, mm. with, Consolidation, I guess. Word. That's interesting that you say that because um, through my my research of the West End, uh -huh. you saw where when desegregation started to happen and schools started to integrate, mm -hmm. um, there was a lot of white flight in that area. Mm -hmm. A lot of white people moving um, to more residential areas outside of the city, which eventually led to that area being um, a mostly African American community when it once wasn't. But it seems mm -hmm. like here, as African-Americans started to come in, um, there was more acceptance instead of flight. Is that what I'm, what I'm gaining? Like there was more of a welcoming community yeah. type of atmosphere. Yeah, it was pretty, I, I think it, it pretty much was. Okay. And, and it's, it's, the area as it is now, where it's, it's, it's a huge number of Afro-Americans in the neighborhood all the time on the little five points out of the streets. Uh, it's gradually, like I say, it's gradually built. At one time in the, and what was this? This was probably in the 80s. There was a skinhead group that came in and caused a lot of problems, racist problems, racial problems. And they were finally dragged, you know, pushed out, but it was, it was, it was that was a problem for a little while. Um. Harlan is a living myth of social struggle about equality and progressiveness. Having heard all these community experiences, we were excited to learn Harlan's brief definition of community. That, that, the, the three words. One I'd put there is unity. Mm. And uh, one I'd put there would probably be, uh, I don't know what word to use now, Brotherhood is sort of out of fashion, mm. <laughs> but that's what I'd mean. Mm -hmm. Camaraderie. Yeah, and camaraderie, yeah, camaraderie will do it. And the other would be some unity falls with this too. Some something that some sort of something that, that causes people to adhere to the community some sort of something in common. And unity, I mean, a little more combined as on toward a, a more common, well, a common vision is one thing, or, or not a common vision, but common, get the compassion there. I just, I just have trouble breaking it down that.
Few neighborhoods share a connection to the city, state, and nation's historical development than the West End District of Atlanta. In fact, the West End is older than the city of Atlanta itself, being that the land establishing this district was bought in 1835, two years before the site for Atlanta was located. Home of the Atlanta University Center, the West End and its student population during the 1960s played a significant role in altering the racial makeup and climate of the community, let alone the country. Following the Atlanta student movement and the resulting civil rights movement, white flight began to take place throughout the district as most white families began relocating to Atlanta's northern suburbs. By the late 1960s, the West End had become a helm of black businesses, activism, and even religious diversity. Today, it remains a growing African-American community. Arriving in the West End, we made a pit stop at the ever-popular Busy Bee Cafe, a soul food restaurant originally started in 1947. After enjoying the world-renowned Southern cooking as a group, we engaged in a conversation with Sharia outside of the restaurant. Sharia, who has lived in Atlanta for about seven years after relocating from Detroit, shared a few words with us about her perspective on community as she waited outside of the restaurant with her family. Here's what she had to say. Community is big to me because as I spoke on my great-great-grandmother, who was originally from Georgia, when she moved to Detroit, everything was about community. She had, um, she had summer programs. She had arts and craft programs for the community, for the neighborhoods, for the children. She fed the children and everything, so I grew up on community. We also discussed the role that long-standing businesses, such as restaurants like Busy Bees, played in cultivating and maintaining community. This is a place that's been in the community for a long time. So this is big within community. Soulful brings everybody together. We then transitioned and asked Sharia about how change was affecting her community. When we asked her if she had witnessed change in West End, she responded. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Um, a lot of communities, they're not what you grew up seeing. You, you go to some communities that you grew up in and it's... It's like, what, what is this place? You know, it's vacant buildings. It's nothing that you're familiar with. Nowadays, you don't see places that you grew up in your childhood. So for people to have been raised here and they still be here and they can still come here, that's a great thing because it's different places that I grew up on and I wish that place was still there. So to still be a pillar of the community and everybody still support this place. I mean, seriously, I came here about a month, two months ago and... It was, a, um, it was a big festival, and you had people from all different nationalities. We all sat out front waiting on this place to open up. They had their bags. Seriously, they had their bags out and everything. They wanted to come here. So that represents a lot to me. It means that they are good to the community as well because you don't, you don't patronize something that's not giving you something that's fulfilling to you. Continuing down Martin Luther King Jr. Drive, we cannot help but notice the massive, intricately built dome that neighbors the West End, just east of Busy Bee Cafe. The Mercedes-Benz Stadium, officially opened in 2017, 
is a multi-purpose stadium that is home to the Atlanta Falcons NFL team and hosts many different concerts and events. This structure, which replaced the previous Georgia Dome, has an estimated total cost of $1.6 billion. It was interesting to observe how the aura of vibrance, pedestrian traffic, and community in the West End suddenly decreased as we traveled closer to the stadium. All right, it's Tuesday, just a little after two o'clock, and we just had lunch over at Busy Bee's restaurant. It was a very poppin' area, lots of things going on, and now we're just walking towards Mercedes-Benz Stadium, uh, east, 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 from Busy Bee's. And it's interesting because it's, it's in the middle of the afternoon, but as we moved away from Busy Bee's, we're seeing less and less people, seeing less and less vibrance in the community. Um, and instead, what you see is this giant towering Mercedes-Benz Stadium looking over you and you see a pavement of the roads happening and and new infrastructure being built but there's less people and so it seems like this is this sort of building and, and gentrification is sort of encroaching on the community who knows how much further and further back it'll push beyond this point as you move closer to the busy bees to the Walmart and things of that nature so it's interesting to see how we've sort of lost that sense of, of people walking around, um, talking to each other in the middle of the afternoon as we've moved closer to the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. We definitely weren't the only ones who noticed the impact of the dome on the West End community. First, we interviewed Melissa. Melissa Alexander is a community-based artist specializing in photography and filmmaking. She lives in the West End with her nine-year-old daughter, and her work focuses on capturing and affirming people's beauty and power. We first met Melissa on a panel with other community-based artists where she spoke about street photography, art as a form of activism, and her recent film entitled To West End With Love. We met with her again to further discuss the West End community and how she views the changes that have occurred over the past few years and continue to impact the community that she so loves. Melissa described the dome as a UFO, completely alien from the community surrounding it. In a larger conversation about gentrifying forces in the West End, she talked about how the dome and the surrounding development was slowly encroaching on the historic West End community and threatening historic sites like the AUC. In that area that kind of seems a little dead, that's where Morris Brown was, right? So, so we've been hearing talks that people are trying to buy up Morris Brown, which is a historically black college that, you know, fell on hard times. They're trying to buy that land, which is, you know, at this point worth untold, right? To developers, to the city, all of that kind of stuff. So it's like, it's, it's, it's just crazy when you can see the, you can see it moving down MLK, right? And then it becomes the idea of, is MLK, what is MLK gonna look like in 10 years, right? And then you think about, well, it's named MLK, but is this what MLK would have wanted? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's, it's just very, I don't know, it's, just, it's interesting to me. It's, just, it's kinda interesting. Clearly, large-scale corporate developments like the Dome has had a huge impact on that community. But we also wondered about what gentrification looked like at a smaller scale, at the level of the individual buyer. To this, Melissa recounted a story that struck us all.
I often think about um, there was a time where I was doing my daughter's hair and I could hear like all this commotion outside and um, like people talking like excitedly and other what the hell is going you know what I'm saying what's going on so I go to look out the window and there's a man a white man leading a group of 20 or so white people through my neighborhood and when I opened the door the first thing I heard him say was this area is ripe for the picking right right so you know what do you do you know people can tell me whatever they want to tell me and say oh you know we love inclusivity and we love you know living you know we love our neighbors and all of that stuff, but at the bare basic, like the foundation of that is, this area is right for the picking. Our conversation with Melissa reminded us of the important difference between intentions and impacts. Projects that may claim to support diversity or are supposedly designed to spur economic development too often result primarily in the displacement of locals, often low-income black and brown folks who have lived in the area for generations. The lack of accountability between those moving into new areas and the communities they are entering was disturbing to us. Although unfortunately not unfamiliar from our studies, we have discussed the devastating impacts of quote-unquote urban renewal on communities of color in the South and beyond. Although we often automatically assume newcomers are gentrifiers by default, Melissa discussed how not all newcomers have to change the community negatively. She contrasted gentrifiers and what she called neighbors, who she described as people moving into West End who may not be from the area, but still contribute in meaningful ways that add to rather than exploit the local ecosystem. I, I do see the neighborhood changing, but I'm hoping, hoping that the people who move in are neighbors, right? And not seeking to change. You don't move into a community and then say, oh, those drums at the Malcolm X Festival that you guys been having for 25 years, that's unacceptable, I'm calling the cops, right? You embrace it, you say, dang, those drums sound good, maybe I can go over, or if 